Every author obsesses over one single date, the day their book gets published, their pub date. All those rigorous edits and deadlines leading up to that one infamous day when the book and author has been living, breathing, and conceiving for years is launched into the world. This is a show about pub dates, a place where we delve into the story behind the story of how a book comes to market. I'm your host, Allison Trowbridge. I'm an author myself and the founder CEO of Copper, a platform that connects authors and readers around books. So welcome to our pub date. Pull up a chair and grab yourself a libation. We may not be in a pub, but we'll definitely be raising a glass in celebration. Hitha, you are our first interview on the Pub Date Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. And also, happy Pub Date. I'm I'm thrilled we actually get to release this episode on the release date of your new book. Will you tell us about it? Yes, and thank you so much. I couldn't have asked for a better place to debut the book on its book birthday. So <laughs> it's the first birthday. <laughs> the book is called We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris. And what it is not is a policy book. Mm. What it is, is a careful study of the vice president's life and her career and how she has overcome some really challenging moments, mm. how she takes care of herself, how she takes care of her family and they take care of her to make great things happen and to shatter the narratives that society tries to put on us and to live our truth and to speak our power. Mm, I love that. I love that. And the description of the book too is inspirational lessons about life work, and overcoming adversity drawn from Kamala Harris's norm-shattering ascent to vice president of the United States. I mean, Hitha, let's first of all, before we dive into the content of the book, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit just about who you are and how it came to be that you actually started writing this book. Just my favorite part of this journey for you is how you came to write this, how quickly it happened. Give us a little bit of the background there. Happy to. So it actually starts a while ago when I had just started my career in pharmaceuticals. I was at a rapidly growing startup pharma company where I did what just needed to get done. Mm. And part of that involved traveling a lot to see Mm. vendors, to tour manufacturing facilities, to meet with potential partners, networking at a lot of different conferences. And I was a very young woman of color in an industry that was mostly made up of older men and predominantly white men. Even members of my team were my father and his business partner and his team members, all of who had been doing their jobs for longer than I had been alive. So There was the, well, I need to travel efficiently and whatnot, but I didn't really have much of a blueprint on how to show up in spaces, in a negotiation, Mm. in presenting, in even what I should wear and what is that line of this is both appropriate, but also makes me feel really good. And on some random business trip in some random city, Mm. I was answering emails from my hotel room and I had the TV on in the background and I think it was CNN. And this woman who looks like me walked to a podium 
and started talking about the mm. incredible settlement she had negotiated with the biggest banks in the country for the California homeowners as part of the mortgage settlement crisis. And I stopped typing and I was like, who is that? I was transfixed <laughs> on every word, the way she was delivering those words and was like, that's it. That is who I have been looking for to show me how to show up mm. in this world. Wow. And that was at the time, Attorney General Kamala Harris. So email, I don't think I ever responded to that email. I went on a Google deep dive on Kamala Harris and examined what she had done, watched videos of her delivering speeches or in debates, and she became my role model from afar. And I created this little notebook of Kamala-isms, which has fallen apart many years ago, although I wish I still kept it. But it became like an iCloud notebook on like my Apple Notes app and um, just of quotes of how she stood and like little pictures and little screenshots of video clips of how she looked, how she stood, like facial expressions, hand gestures, but also phrases she used in a speech or phrases she used in a negotiation, how in studying videos, how she structured an argument or a line of questioning. So she's been my mentor for probably 10 years now. So with regards to this book, in one way, I have been writing this book for a very long time. But when it came to actually (laughs) this book, I was approached right after the election had been called for Biden-Harris by Little Brown Spark, who said- So they actually reached out to you. They did, which is, this is also how it happened with my first book, How to Pack. So I am the luckiest author in the whole wide world. Want to acknowledge (laughs) that. And they said, you know, my editor Marissa (laughs) had said, I am really like struck and fascinated by how you have shown your support for Vice President, now Vice President-elect Harris, and how you talk about her. We've been thinking about this book idea. Would you be interested in writing an advice book inspired by Kamala Harris. And I said, this is my dream book project. In a way, I feel like I've been writing this book for a very long time. Yes, let's do it. When do you need it by? They were like two months. And I was like, that's insane. (laughs) What? I was like, so say what now? Oh my God. Yeah, I wrote this book in two and a half months. (laughs) Wow. Wow. How was it just saying yes to that and doing this so fast? Because for those listening who have not written a book, but probably want to someday, I mean, it can be years of your life you pour into to writing a book. Two and a half months is insanity. Yes, it is. I don't think I have fully recovered yet. Oh, no. You know, with my, la- my last book, I had six months to write it and there were a lot of pictures yeah. in it. It was a wonderful book and I'm yeah. very proud of it. And I thought that was fast. With this, we went from contract to pub in less than a year, which wow. is insane. Wow. This is not the norm in publishing. No, I that never happens. This never happens. But because it never happens, there is the sense of this is a dream opportunity and you don't say no to yeah. this if yeah. you can afford it. Yeah. And so literally my whole family mobilized to help me write this book. I spent the morning with my kids, like having breakfast with them and then taking them to school. And then I would just hole up in my office and I would be writing and researching and interviewing and editing and writing some more until 1 to 2 a.m. every morning, wake up at 6, do it again, especially for the last six weeks. And I still can't believe we did it. We did it, Joe, but... (laughs) 
You know, I'm really <laughs> proud. I'm really proud of it. I'm really wow. proud of the book. It's the book I have needed to go back to and read throughout this year, which has had a lot of also high highs, low lows, challenging moments from when the manuscript was done because I have a day job in pharmaceuticals still. I have two yeah. young kids. We're still living in a pandemic and it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So take us through some of this content. So you talk about this idea of Kamala-isms. What were some of the Kamala-isms that that really stood out to you that you've carried forward? Share a few of those with us. Yes. I eat no for breakfast and it's a hearty breakfast is one of my favorite quotes by her because we're all going to face rejection. We're all going to experience disappointments professionally and personally. And that's just a norm of life. So I love the way she framed this. This is something to be devoured, not something to be afraid of, not something to be fearful of, not something to let it occupy your precious brain space, but this is what you devour. And reframing it that way has been extremely helpful, which you know, as an entrepreneur, you're constantly pitching. No's are the norm. So to have that as a mental framework of I eat no for breakfast, to know how you're going to manage it and manage it well is, I think, one of the most powerful lessons. And that's just the nature of the business. So reframing that rejection, which comes for purely business reasons, it's not personal, to something you can conquer and preemptively just have that mentality helps overcome those what are often disappointing, you know, no's and rejections. And so I that's one of my that. favorite Kamalisms and one that certainly has gotten me through the past few years. Another one is actually one for her, her mom, who always told her daughters, do something about it and don't do it half-assed. <laughs> that's awesome. Which I just love the idea of like this petite South Asian woman like saying that like just it makes me it makes me smile when I hear it when I think about it and then it lights a fire in my belly to actually get to work about it Mm. and I think that's like the point is if you're going to take the time to do something one make sure it's worth doing and once you have confirmed that do it with everything you've got I love that I love that what were some of the things that just surprised you as you dug into her story more her journey? What were things that you didn't expect that you discovered? You know, there's a lot of typical advice you see in like successful people of having a good morning routine, of making exercise a priority, of being conscientious about what you eat. And it just being you got to fuel your body and you got to take care of your body if you're going to do big things, which I think is really important to learn. What I did like was very surprised by and not surprised, but I think to the extent that she takes it is how devoted she is to her family, both the family she was born into and then her chosen family, like her friends and their children. Mm. I lost count at how many godchildren she has. Like it's definitely over five, maybe even seven. I love it. And she's very much involved in all mm. of their lives. And she's someone who, if she has a second to send a text message to check in on someone, she'll send that text message. And even her opponents haven't had many bad things to say about her. One of the men she ran against DA with wow. in her first DA election, Bill Fazio, remembers when he was asked in an interview that when his wife passed away from cancer, she was one of the first people to call him. Yeah. And even Steve Cooley, who she beat for attorney general in a very tight election, said listen, she did things differently than I do. 
but I don't have a bad thing to say about her as a person. Like she's formidable. And I think that's something that's very important to think about because women as a whole are told about likability and we need to do this in a way to not piss off or turn off men. And she is someone who I think she is who she is. She doesn't uh, subscribe to these narratives. She is tough and she is formidable at work, but she's also deeply compassionate and caring. And I think it's the both and, not either or, that we need to start embracing. Of We are the sum of our multitudes and we can mm. be really tough and expect excellence from our team and from ourselves and work really hard to make big things happen and be compassionate and supportive and thoughtful. I haven't seen that written about her mm. in a single body of work. It's usually one or the other, which is, you know, a media choice. Yeah. But I'm glad that I got to dig into that in this book. Yeah. Yeah. And such a strong bent towards justice issues as well. Like I was thinking when you were sharing earlier about the first time you saw her or encountered her, I worked in anti-trafficking and in the early, gosh, this was probably 2011-ish, somewhere around there, I'm probably getting the date wrong. But about a decade ago, we were doing all of this work around supply chains and forced labor. And she was the first attorney general to come out and actually make it. She created the Supply Chain Transparency Act in California and made it required businesses doing business in California to disclose what they were doing in their supply chains. And it like shifted the entire narrative focus. All of these companies started actually caring about where things are produced. And so I was just like, who is this woman? I have so much mad respect for her. It was just neat to see how she really like went out on the forefront of these important issues. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you followed that as well. It's really impressive. And I also think it's in the last five years, politically in this country, we were so conditioned to pay attention to tweets and less about actions. Yeah. And this administration has a very different approach of we're going to do something. And then if it's necessary, we will talk about it. And there is so much they are doing. And I think this is reflective of both Vice President Harris and President Biden. Over the course of their careers, they've been driven more to action, less about rhetoric which, you know, I think all of us are have our bit of Stockholm syndrome and are getting used to. But it is about what you do, not about what you say. And when I get caught up on things like spiraling in what's happening on Twitter or on social media, having studied this forces me to take a second and go, am I contributing meaningfully to this? Is tweeting something or sharing something going to make any kind of difference? to the greater issue. And sometimes if you have something meaningful to say, by all means, say it, but then follow it up with work, follow it up with action. And if you can, I try to be more mindful of act first, Yeah, talk about it later. Oh, I love that. Well, and with this idea of talking about it, so let's let's talk about the title of the book. We're speaking. Yes. Tell me, obviously, a reference to to the debates when mm-hmm. Kamala iconically said, I'm speaking. Tell me about choosing that for the title of the book and kind of what you want to emote in the reader. I wanted to pick up off the debate, obviously, because it was such an iconic moment, but I wanted this to be a rallying cry for everyone who has ever felt othered in our society for not just the obvious things, but the smaller things too. Like mental health is an issue that comes up to me a lot. This National Mental Health Awareness Day, I was shocked to see so many people 
talking about their own challenges with anxiety and depression and other mental health disease. And we all have our challenges and things won't change until we come together to start speaking about it and acting upon it. We're acting might have evoked a different type of book. So I love that it is we're speaking because this is about a collective voice coming together to challenge what has been and rebuild what needs to be. Mm, Yeah. And talk to me about representation as well, because that's something that I think is layered into this that's so beautiful. And I would just love to hear you speak to that. I just think a lot about childhood Hitha, like six-year-old Hitha, whose mom told her to not go out and play in the sun because she would get dark and how that the colorism in me kind of seeped in early. I was always one of the only kids of color in my class, certainly one of the only Indians. And it was at a time where there wasn't curiosity or excitement about learning from other people. There was, if you don't fit this certain archetype, you don't belong. And I have spent most of my childhood trying to find where I belong. You know, when I go to India, I'm too American. In the States, I'm too Indian. And never, ever feeling like I have my place. And Mm. that place in my life, what I've learned is it's within you first. And you got to look inward, really be proud of who you are, know who you are, which I think goes back to another Shamalaism. You don't let anyone tell you who you are. You tell them who you are. Like, I wish I heard that when I was a kid. My mom said various versions of it over the course of time, but you know, she was also doing her best. She was a woman when she came to this country, didn't have any formal Western clothes. So when she was interviewing for jobs, she wore a sari. And in one interview, they said, she was asked, are you going to wear that to work every day? And she goes, give me the job. And once I have a paycheck, I'll go buy some new clothes. But that was the question. And I don't think it was ever ill-intentioned. But when I think about these microaggressions and even more so than that, nanoaggressions, where only now do I see how the multitude of these almost invisible slights and feelings of otherness Mm. have, one, made me really stronger and made me who I am today. But also, why is it that we put this burden on certain people to have to be strong? And I'm really glad things have changed so much. Like certainly in my son's class, they get as excited about like the Wally activities as they do, you know, any other Western holiday. And like all Rose classmates are just insanely curious. Like Mm. this class is a third South Asian, which is insane to me to think that like they have that kind of just normalization of South Asian culture being involved in the classroom and the teachers asking us about different activities for the different holidays and the other parents wanting to participate and saying, what books should I get my kid to read them and teach them about this? It's wonderful. And, you know, I think about from a pop culture perspective, what Mindy Kaling has done you know, in film and television, what yeah. so many authors have done across so many genres. It's not just Junpa Lahiri anymore. We have this incredibly vast, as from a South Asian culture, and I'm just speaking from that because that's my experience, but that when I look at one of my favorite genres is romance, and Berkeley is publishing just this insane same diversity of romance from LGBTQ representation to racial representation and disability representation. And I am just so marveled that we live in a world that we finally are at a place where we, a lot of us are celebrating our differences. And I think it's important to say that 
I do see color. I do see disabilities. I do see queer representation and I honor them. I honor your experience. And so I think when we were growing up, it was, oh, but I don't see color. I don't see you as any different. And that being very harmful, even though not ill-intended as I don't recognize your experience in this, in a way where we made a lot of strides past that. And we're going to make so many more. I hope we transcend these awareness days at some point in the future Yeah, where just differences are celebrated every single day, yeah. not just when it's commercially expedient. That's so beautifully said, Hitha. And I just kept thinking when Kamala won the race, like every little girl, you know, especially little girls of color watching and seeing that and realizing that and little boys too. little boys. I think it's so important. And my husband and I talk about how we both think that the boys see me work and have a big job and write books is as important as they see him having taken a pause in his career and be the one who is staying at home and holding down the fort for some period of time. And that they see both of us cooking, cleaning, helping care for the home that we all contribute to our household, that mommies and daddies both work and they take time to pick us up from school and spend time with us in the afternoons. And it's not just a caregiver all the time because we have the privilege to have this flexibility and to be able to afford it and do it. So, you know, and that's certainly my experience. And it's, I think a lot about with great privilege comes great responsibility. And it's important that if I'm able to do this for my family, I do it from this micro Mm. level. And then at a macro level, we talk about it. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that's something I was going to raise as well, looking at Kamala's partnership with with her husband and how your partnership with your husband, both of those were enablers and just kind of the obvious parallels that I've seen. What was it like diving more into her marriage and partnership as well? I love them. Like I just, I adore them so much. (laughs) And to me, if you're looking for like a model Mm. for a healthy relationship, they're it because there is this sense of from each of them, your goals and wishes and dreams are as important as my goals and wishes and dreams. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help you become that person you want to be. Yeah. And it is the model I think we need because it also normalizes a number of things. Blended families, you know, Doug was married previously. Kamala and Kirsten are good friends that she embraces being a bonus mom and a mamala and having a healthy relationship with, you know, your kids as other parents is really important that you can find love even when society has said, oh, you know, you're past your prime, that you could be maternal without ever having given birth. It is a modern family. And then it also normalizes respect and equitability and just being that it's cute and wonderful. And you should have your spouse like kissing you from like (laughs) his seat when you're sitting at the podium at a joint session of Congress address. I love it. I love it. So, so you spent 10 years following Kamala's career and then you spent two and a half months going deep, deep, like the deepest dive that anybody could go on understanding who she is. How do you feel like that entire journey has shaped you, changed you, influenced how you show up in the world as a career woman and as someone driven by so much purpose? You know, I kind of try to think about when I get bored or my mind wanders in this direction of if I hadn't seen 
you know, her make her speech at the podium, when would have been my first sort of contextual touch point with Kamala Harris? Would I have felt this drawn to her at a different phase in my life? And I just don't know that. But in a lot of ways, in the way my own parents and husband and sponsors and mentors have impacted my life, so has she. Mm. I can't quantify it, but I feel like she was one of the first mentors from afar are people who gave me permission to be holy myself and to claim my space in those spaces that I had access to that and do so on my terms. Mm. And I'm really grateful, so eternally grateful to her for not just what she has done as a civil servant, but what she has just done for me and for people everywhere we're just looking for a way to show up as their full self, not being put in a box, not being defined by a narrative and shattering expectations that other people may have on you that aren't in line with the ones you have for yourself. So beautifully said. October 19th, we're speaking available everywhere. Hit that. I am so proud of you as your friend, just seeing the way you've hustled to make this happen. And I'm so excited for this book to be out in the world. I can't wait to read it. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I loved being here. 